seated. So good morning, Shiloh. My name's Mark Lacasse, and I have the privilege um, of bringing today's message to the church today. And so this past summer, we've, we've spent five of the last seven weeks going through the book of Colossians. It's been a book study. Uh, and today we're going to be wrapping up our series. So each week, speak, speakers have taken different chunks. And so today we'll be wrapping up with um, Colossians chapter four. And I warned the first service, I don't think I did it, but if I say Corinthians at any point, I actually do mean Colossians. For some reason, I just keep, you know, screwing those up. But as we wrap up the series... Um, My guiding question for us today is, what are we going to do as a result of this series? What will we do with what we've learned? You know, how will we take this knowledge that we've heard in these messages and put it into practice? There's a familiar story in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, where Jesus talks about how we gain knowledge but the importance of not stopping there, but also putting it into practice. And so he talks about, Jesus talks about these two builders. There's one who built his house on the sand and one who built his house on the rock. And he said that the, to his listeners that the one who built his house on the sand is like the person who hears the word of God and doesn't put it into practice, doesn't go back and learn and apply it to their lives in some way. And so that person, um, when the storms of life come, their house washes away. But he says that there's also a person who builds his house on the rock. And that's like the person who hears the word of God and goes back and reassesses and applies it to their life and continuously goes back and learns and learns and continuously and daily builds their life on the rock of God. And so all that to say, you know, my hope and prayer is that as a result of this series, we will each take deliberate steps to put the word of God that we hear into practice in our lives. And what works, what is, what God has for me might be different than what God has for you, and that's okay, but it's my prayer that we will all take something to help build our house on the rock of God from this series. So let's pray. God, we just thank you for this time together, and we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote, God, that 2,000 years later, we can read it, and we can learn more about you from it. So would you open up our ears to hear from you? God, would you speak through me? And will we just hear your words today and not my own? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So before we get into Colossians 4, I want to spend the first part of our time together just looking back to the first three chapters of Colossians as a little review and recap of where we've been so far. And so I like to think of chapter 1 as the basis for our faith. I think of it as, you know, why are we here on a Sunday morning? Why are we worshiping God? Why are we doing all these things? And Paul describes that in the first chapter of Colossians. But this is also the, 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 the truths in our faith that I feel like we can so easily become desensitized to. And the more we hear them, the more it's like, oh yeah, that's true, that's great, okay. And then we move on. But it's like the reality of what this scripture says, it's life universe altering. Um, and so in this chapter, Paul talks about who Jesus is and what God has done for us. So if I were to ask you the question, who is Jesus? There's the Sunday school answer, right? He's God's son. But think about like how that does so little, just saying he's God's son doesn't even come close to describing what that actually means. My, my weird example is if I were to say Charles is the son of Elizabeth, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Now I tell, oh, some, yeah, so when I say Prince Charles is the son of Queen Elizabeth, 
now you're like, oh, wow, that, that, that's a big deal. I mean, that means because he is Queen Elizabeth's daughter, that means he's a prince and he could be king one time and he has fame and he has fortune and he has, you know, all these different things that come from being the child of that person. So when we say that Jesus is God's son, that's just like the beginning. When we look into the scripture in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, like Paul gives us this amazing, beautiful illustration of who Jesus is. So I'm just going to read it from you, for you, and it's kind of long, so please do your best to stay with me. But I feel like this is such an important understanding and basis for our faith. So Jesus is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God. He is the visible representation of the invisible. God, Jesus is God in human form, right? He's the firstborn, the preeminent, of the preeminent one, the sovereign and the originator of all creation. So he's the first in all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created and exist through him. That is by his activity and for him. So he has created all things and all things are there for him. And he himself existed and is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He holds the universe, the stars together. It says his is the controlling cohesive force of the universe. So sorry, Luke Skywalker and Star Wars fans, um, but you know, Jesus is the true force. Thanks. All right, he's also the head. I didn't use that in the first service, so I saved it for you guys. Um, he is also the head, the life source and the leader of the body, the church. So Jesus is the head of our church. He's the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will occupy the first place. He will stand supreme and preeminent in everything. And I love this description here, the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. For it pleased the Father for all the fullness of deity, the sum total of his essence, all his perfection, powers, and attributes to dwell permanently in the Son. So I have a, I have a son whose name is Matthew, he's four, and I can't think of anything I would love more than for every good part of me to dwell in him. And there's nothing I would ever hold back from Matthew. And God is the same way. He's the true picture of that. He held nothing back, but gave everything of him to Christ. Um, and through the intervention of the son to reconcile all things to himself, making peace with believers through blood on his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And so come on, like, I know it's easy to move past and just be like, yeah, Jesus is these things, but like, this is who we worship. Like, we worship this creator, this being that holds all things together. And as Paul sets us right to make sure we know this is the basis of our truth, he then describes what God has done for us. And in verses 13 to 14, he says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Not like some of us, all of us, we were all in the dominion of darkness and have been rescued and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And he also says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, without blemish. You are without blemish to Christ and you're free from accusation. A couple of months ago, Josh Locke preached up here and he shared um, that God only sees us 
through the lens of Christ's sacrifice. And so it doesn't matter how much the world accuses you, how much you accuse yourself, or how guilty or shameful or anything you feel. These scriptures give us the freedom to know that we can approach Christ without blemish and free from accusation. It doesn't matter. No one can accuse us and say we're not worthy. No one can say that God doesn't love us or he won't accept us or he doesn't want to hear from us. We can approach God at any time. And so what I take from this first chapter, it's simply this, that God is crazy about Jesus, right? He gave Jesus everything of himself and that they're both crazy about us. And so chapter two um, kind of shifts gears a little bit. Now that we have the basis of our faith, Paul goes into chapter two and he talks about how do we live in the, like what's going to happen in this world, right? And he talks about how there's many dangers and people, I love how he puts it, he says, who have persuasive but thoroughly deceptive arguments who want, us to, who want to pull us away from this truth of God. And no matter where we go in this world, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, people are always trying to add something to the gospel or take something away from the gospel or make us feel like we have to practice and live out our faith in certain ways. And, and, and Pastor Greg warned us like a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, the world is full of these partial truths, things that look so good in so many ways, but they're not the truth of Christ. And so when I, when I think of how to summarize chapter two, which much faster than chapter one, uh, I would say that the world is full of deceptive arguments. Only Christ is the real truth. And I love how Paul, Paul, because remember, this is a letter that Paul's writing. And so I love how in chapter three, it flows beautifully because now we know who Jesus is and we know what God has done for us. And we know that the enemy, Satan and the world are constantly trying to pull us away from the truth of God. So what do I do as a follower of Christ? And in chapter three, um, Paul focuses on how I need to walk out my faith on a day-to-day basis and stay rooted in God's word and in his truth. So how do, how do I do that, though? What does that actually look like? Because I feel like that's one of those, yeah, walk with God daily. And then you leave church, and then how does that go? By Sunday afternoon or by Monday. You know, and so something that I've learned over you know, a number of years of being a follower of Christ is it has to be a deliberate choice on my part each day to engage with God, to walk with him, and not be pulled away by the lies and things in the world. And thinking about it another way, it's how do I build my life on the rock that Christ talked about in Matthew chapter 7? And so what does that look like for me? And this isn't me saying I'm some super Christian. I have many areas to grow. But, you know, whether you've been a Christian for longer than I've been alive or you've been a Christian for two weeks, maybe some of these could be helpful for you. And one thing that I've, you know, one discipline I've created in my life is I spend every morning reading my Bible when I wake up. Um, and, and I, with my Bible reading, I journal. And it's kind of cool. You know, every morning about partway through um, reading my Bible, my daughter gets up and she comes and she sits on my lap. And, you know, like if you're a parent, sometimes you have those like yes moments. And so I've been doing this since she's been alive. And then a few days ago, she gets up 
and she sits on my lap for a second and then gets off and goes and grabs her Bible and finds a journal. And then she goes and sits on the other chair and then she sits there and she's reading her Bible and she's like journaling like what it is and writing down scriptures from her Bible. And I'm like, and she's been doing that now like every morning, which I'm like, yes, that's awesome. But that, you know, that's an intentional decision on my part to engage in God's word. Um, you know, my family and I, we've decided that we are going to attend church weekly, whether it's online or whether it's in person. That's an important practice for us. You know, because Pastor Don said at one point, whatever you feed will grow and whatever you starve will die. And so if I want to feed and if I want to grow this life of becoming like Christ, then I need to make deliberate decisions and actions to make my life centered on him and feed those things. I love to jog. Uh, and so when I go jogging, I usually listen to sermons from other pastors is just another way to engage um, more of my life. I love listening to worship music in the car. And of course, I listen to other music too, but I love to have God's word just kind of emanating throughout my day. So these are specific actions that I take in my life. And I would encourage you, you know, are there things that God is calling you to add. And and these things aren't to earn your salvation. They're not to earn like extra crowns, but it's for me and for you to deliberately choose. Like I want to follow God and I don't want to be pulled away by the world and the truth that the world pulls out. And so we need to root ourselves with God in our life. So if I were to summarize this third chapter, I'd say we avoid falling for the deceptive arguments of the world by deliberately choosing to walk with God on a daily basis and be rooted in his word. So I'm a pretty simple person, um, if you haven't figured that about me so far. And one thing that I've learned as a teacher is the more simple you can make things, or yeah, the more simpler, the more simple you can make things, the more likely people are to retain them. So I've just taken all of these summaries and I've clumped them into one paragraph. And I would summarize the first three chapters of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, by saying this, that God is crazy about Jesus and they are both crazy about us. That the world is full of deceptive arguments trying to alter the gospel, but only Christ is the real truth. And so we avoid falling for the deceptive arguments of the world by deliberately choosing to walk with God on a daily basis and be rooted in his word. So today we're going to wrap up our study of Colossians by looking at um, Colossians 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. And I'm going to invite my wonderful sister up to uh, read that for our body. This is Jill Hires. She's awesome. uh... So when my brother asked me to read this this morning, I was like, oh, Mark, that's so nice that you thought of me. You're so kind. And then I actually looked at these verses yesterday, and I was like, no, he was actually not being nice to me. These verses are full of so many hard-to-read Greek and Jewish names that I was just like, oh, Mark, that was good. You got me. It it just continues a legacy of being the younger brother to you through all phases of life. It's true. He has tortured me most of my life. But anyways, I'm happy to be here this morning and reading to you. So please bear with me as I do my best to read from Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. 
Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He also prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you, and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Damas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Very well done. Very impressive. I, I was very tempted um, during both. Well, so here's the deal. This is an aside. Um, so what I've learned is that when you turn 30, your frontal lobe um, finishes its development, which is all about impulse control. So I'm 35 now, so I actually have some impulse control, which is good. Because the whole time she was reading, I wanted to be like, and interject. Actually, Jill, I think it's this. Actually, Jill, I think it's this. But I let her actually get through it. So thank you, Lord, for um, growing. Um, yeah. Now that threw me off. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I'm on the wrong page. There we go. All right. Um, so when Pastor Greg um, sent me a few weeks that I could pick from to, to preach, this was the week that worked best for my family schedule. I was like, yeah, we, could, we can preach. I can preach this week. And then I read this section of scripture and I was like, oh my word, I get to preach on the random greetings at the end of a, a letter. Okay, this is going to go well. Um, but you know, God gave me an amazing picture for this section. And I think it ties in so well with the rest of the letter. Because we focused on who Jesus is and what God has done for us and how the world is always trying to pull us away with the deceptive arguments, but we're called to be rooted in God's word. You know, one way that we become rooted in God's word and make the deliberate choice to walk with God on a daily basis is what Paul writes about here, and I think it's all about community. Because, you know, it's simple. Like, we weren't intended to do life alone. We weren't intended to live out our faith alone. And this section is full of examples from Paul about the importance of community and the people that he has in his life. So I just like to go verse by verse and pull out some things together as we um, wrap up the message. And so verse 7, it says, Tychicus, I was going to say Tychicus, but Tychicus, thank you, Jill, will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. And so here we can see that as community, we serve together. And we don't serve to gain salvation or, or earn any extra rewards, but we serve because it's a natural outworking of following Christ. I mean, I challenge you to read the gospel, read about Jesus's life, and not see how he lived a life of service. And so as we become more like God, we serve others. 
And whether it's serving here on a, on a Sunday morning in some capacity, whether it's serving at the food pantry, whether it's serving people by going to their house and helping them out. You know, part of being a community of believers is we serve each other. And in verse 8, he says, I have sent him, Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. And so as Paul's writing this letter, he's sending Tychicus to do something for him that he can't do himself at the time because Paul writes earlier in Colossians, like, I haven't been able to visit you. And so in community, we do things for others that they can't do for themselves at that time. You know, there's been a number of examples in my life, especially my adult life, where people have done for myself and my family what we couldn't do for ourselves. My son's had a number of surgeries done at Boston Children's. And so whether it's been things like paying for hotel rooms that we couldn't afford, or it's coming over and mowing our lawn because we've been away for weeks or months, or getting us food, or cleaning our house, or our parents watching our daughter while we're away, like these are all examples of our community doing things for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And he also says in verse 8 um, that to let you know how we are doing and Tychicus is going to encourage you. And such a huge part of community is encouragement. You know, the world beats us up. The world tears us down. The world kicks us while we're down. But as a body of believers, we aren't called to do that to each other. We're called to encourage each other. In, in my small group that my wife and I lead, once a year or once a session, we'll have a night of encouragement. And that's where we pick one person at a time, and everyone goes around the circle and says things that we love or appreciate or we see in that person. And we usually have someone who's like taking down notes so, and then physically hands the person the piece of paper. So when you walk out of our small group that night, everybody has a piece of paper of like all these ways that they're loved and all the things that people see through them. Like, that's what we're supposed to be as believers, building each other up, not tearing each other down. In verse 11, he writes, Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They're working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. And simply in community, we comfort each other, right? We, and sometimes comforting is through physical help of going and doing something. And sometimes comfort is just sitting and being with someone. Just making that phone call or sending that text, just knowing that you're loved by someone is a huge comfort. And so we go out of our way to find ways. How can we bring comfort to other people as they walk through life? In verse 12, he writes, oh, I screwed this one in the first service too. I'll say Epiphras. You can correct me later. A member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. And so as community, we pray for each other. When when I rededicated my life to Christ in my mid-20s, I quickly got involved in a small group and met my um, best friend, Kevin Lichty, who is here in attendance. I won't embarrass you, Kevin. But soon after we started, you know, going to small group together and doing church together, Kevin and I would get together once a week, um, every night up at his apartment. And we'd get, it was a very romantic dinner. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But we would have dinner. We'd order Chinese food. Um, and we would have dinner together. and We'd listen to messages. And then we would um, sit and we'd pray. And we, we would pray for every person in our small group. And the the interesting thing was I didn't really know these people too well that we were praying for, 
But as we like deliberately engaged in prayer for these people each week, my heart grew for them and I cared more about what was going on in their lives and I felt closer and we became more like tightly knit as a community. And so we pray for each other. You know, another example is when we were down at um, Children's for my son's last surgery a couple of years ago, Shiloh had their prayer team going and Kathy Saller was amazing texting my wife and I prayers that other people were saying for our family and we could text her updates and, and she was relaying that back to other people. And it was just so amazing to know like how loved we were by our community. And so when we pray for each other, there's that like warm kind of fuzzy feeling like, hey, like people are praying for me. That's cool. But also, like, recognize that, like, that's not the whole meaning of prayer. Like, there's the physical world and there's the spiritual world. And when we choose to pray for each other, we're, like, actively battling in the spiritual realm for these people and whatever they're facing. And so above anything else, as a community, like, we are there to fight with one another through prayer for whatever it is that they're going through. And verses 14 to 16, he writes... Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. And please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the church that meets in our house. And after you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. As I read these last few verses... um, I think it's so cool to know that like this letter was meant to be circulated, not just to the church in Colossae, but then to other churches and other people as well. And I can only imagine if I was living at that time without internet and without phones and things like that, like being a believer probably felt a little isolated in some ways because you knew the people in your city, but you know, how many other people are really believing in this new way that I'm believing in as well? But the more this letter would get circulated, the more you'd realize, like, I'm a part of something larger than just my own personal walk with Christ. And being in community draws us into that. As as we engage in the community of believers, we realize that this life isn't just about myself, but this life is about me living in the kingdom of God. And community draws us into that larger kingdom in the work that we do. And so think about your experiences at Shiloh. You know, if somebody comes in and you don't know them and you talk to them and you're polite to them, like when you engage in community in that way, that could be the thing that draws them to come back for another week. Or think about when we had kids camp and maybe you volunteered and spent five nights standing outside in the parking lot doing security and you're like, well, am I really doing anything standing here? But hey, you gave parents the peace of mind that they could drop off their kids in a place of safety and then those kids could go hear the truths of God that would stick with them for a lifetime. Or, you know, I'm sure like when you stand up and you lead worship and you're singing up here in worship, some weeks it's probably a challenge. But you know what? When you lead us into worship, worship team, you bring us into the presence of God where chains break and where God speaks to us and where people give their lives to Christ. So what we do in community, it matters. It's so important. And it's not just for ourselves and our own personal walk, but it's for others and it's for the kingdom of God. So we remember that in community, we serve together, we serve each other, that we do for each other what we can't do for ourselves at that time, that we encourage each other, that we comfort each other, we pray for each other, and being in community draws us into God's greater kingdom. A lot of people uh, think, as I was reading up on the book of Colossians, a lot of people think that Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter. 
Um, and so think about how community looked different for Paul being in prison versus when he was traveling the world as a missionary. But no matter what his place in life was, it didn't matter his situation, he still found ways to engage community, whether it was writing two-thirds of the New Testament through letters across you know, the known world, or whether it was having people come visit him and preaching to the people that he met in the prison. Like, he found ways to engage in community. So I just want to encourage you, you know, if community is looking different to you in this season of your life, don't beat yourself up. You know, whether it's because of the pandemic or maybe you have young children and young children dramatically change how you do community, or maybe you have an aging parent that you need to care for, or maybe you've been recently divorced, or maybe you've moved to a new area and you haven't made those friends that you had in other places. You know, there's so many different things that affect our seasons of life and our seasons of community. And we could just be focused on the good old days, right? Because don't we all have those good old days of community? Those times when you just felt like your life was like thriving and hitting on all cylinders. And then when life is different, it's easy to be like, but this isn't how it was. But I just want to encourage you that no matter how your life is now, God is calling us to adapt to this new season and find what God has for us in it. One of my favorite TV shows is The Office. I don't know if I should really use this example. But in, in the last season, the last episode of The Office, Andy Bernard said, he's, he's reminiscing on their time, and he says, how, do I, like, how can we know, or why don't we ever know we're in the good old days when we're in the good old days? And you know what, like, we're always in the good old days. There are seasons that are hard and seasons that are challenging, but there's always something good that ha- God has for us in whatever season that we're in. So I encourage you to find that in community in this season. Um, and I guess you could email Greg at shilohcommunity.church if you don't like that one. Um, just kidding. Um, so my two questions for you are this. Are you engaging in community with Christians? You know, on September 5th, in just a couple of weeks, we have signups for small group. And I highly encourage you to sign up for a small group. If you've always been on the fence, if you're like, well, maybe I should or maybe I shouldn't. You know, we have all of them, all the different small group offerings listed on the website. Uh, and you can see which one might fit for you and what, which one might fit for your style of life. And I encourage you to take that leap and engage in community in that way. And then how can you be a benefit to others? You know, in community, how can you be a benefit? Not just looking for myself and what I need, but how can I be a benefit? What giftings and talents has God given me to bring out? So Colossians, it's a letter that makes sure we know our standing with God because of who Jesus is and what God has done for us. Colossians is a letter that cautions against falling into false teaching but the importance of staying rooted in the word of God and deliberately walking that out on a daily basis. And finally, it's a letter that shows the importance of not going through this life alone. So stand with me as we pray. Oh God, we we thank you for this day, God. And thank you that you made us not to be alone. God, thank you that you made us for community. And God, thank you that we have this letter from Paul that was written 2,000 years ago that we can still go back to and learn truths from. So God, whatever is from you today, would that be what sinks deep into the hearts of people here that are listening? 
And God, if I said anything that's off or anything that doesn't fit, God, would that just move past people? Would they just move on? And it's just your truth and your word that stays with us, God. Would you call us to action, God? Action not to earn our salvation. Action not to, to earn any reward. Or God, would you call us to action so that we could build our house on you, the rock, so that when the storms of life come, God, we have the foundation built on you. So we give you this day, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.